God always calls enough laborers in every generation to reach the harvest for the gospel, with the gospel. Um, but it is up to the laborers that God calls as to whether or not they're going to answer the call. In the process of this, there is a lady who has had a medical condition for some time. The Bible calls it an issue of blood. And she's went to different physicians and was unable to find any sort of remedy for it. Um, and she had faith that if she was to just go and touch the clothes of Jesus, that she would be healed. Uh, so just remember what Jesus is doing here. He's on his way to heal an important person's daughter who's about to die. This lady comes and pushes her way through the crowd, comes up to Jesus, grabs onto to his garments, and, you know, Jesus could have just allowed that lady to be healed and kept going on his, um, on his way. He was going to do something important. I'm sure that lady would have been plenty, of ha plenty happy if she was just healed. But I think it's special that Jesus took time out of his busy schedule uh, to have a personal interaction with that dear lady. Uh, I think that's something that we should keep in mind is that we should never be so busy even in doing important things that we don't take time aside for spending time with individual people that need us. Um, so Jesus is, um, he, he performs that miracle. Let's go ahead and read starting in verse uh, 26, I'm sorry, verse 22, and we will read through to the end of the chapter where we're going to hone in on. Um, it says, we're, But Jesus turned about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. When he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open, and straightly Jesus charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. Now to be clear, when it says dumb here, it means someone who is mute or unable to speak. Um, verse 33, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their, um, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... 
he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is going about doing his Father's will perfectly, of course, because he is the Son of God and he is God himself. Um, as he is teaching and preaching and healing people, he comes across a multitude of people. And what does the Bible say about Jesus' heart when he came across the multitude of people? Yeah, he was moved with compassion. Jesus' heart was moved with compassion when he saw the people that were around him. A question that we should ask ourselves or can ask ourselves is, are our hearts moved with compassion on the lost who are around us? Um, now, you saw that short video clip that I showed um, just when we were in Budapest and we were praying um, for those people and watching them there. Um, and at that point, my heart was moved with compassion um, for those people there. Um, but you know, honestly, my heart is not always moved with compassion on lost people around me. And I think if you're honest, yours isn't either. None of us are perfect like Jesus. Um, but because if you are a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, you can have the very heart of Jesus for the lost around. Um, you should ask Jesus, Lord, give me your heart of compassion for those around me. We know that Jesus has compassion on the lost, and his job when he was here on earth uh, I mean, he fulfilled more. The Bible even says in the New Testament that if books were to be written of everything that Jesus did, uh, the world couldn't even contain all of the books of things that were written. Um, but Jesus' purpose um, was when he came here, he came to seek and to save the lost. Um, everyone starts out in life, whether they realize it or not, as being lost. Um, there, the, the Bible tells us um, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it talks about the man Adam, the first created man. It says, uh, Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, um, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So it begins the whole story of redemption, the fact that Jesus wants to buy us back and reconcile us to himself. It begins with the very beginning of creation, the fact that Adam and Eve, they were the first created people here on earth, and they were given a very simple, um, a simple command. Honestly, if you think of being Adam and Eve, they had it pretty easy if you think about it. Like, you can eat of the fruit of any trees that you want to out here, but there's just one tree I don't want you to eat from. 
And we know the story that the serpent, um, in the, the devil in the form of a serpent came and tempted Eve and she took of that fruit and the Bible says other places that she was deceived but Adam was not deceived. They willfully sinned against the command of God and because of that sin, sin entered into the world. And all of us who have been born into this world have been born in a lost condition. We've been born dead in our sins, the Bible says. Um, we, we are separated from God. Um, and Jesus, when he came here to earth, we know from different passages in the Bible that it talks about him as the second Adam. So that because Adam and Eve, with Adam, everyone, um, everyone had death come on them. But through Jesus representing um, mankind as fully man, but fully God, he was the perfect substitute who is able to take our sin in himself when he died on the cross. And he represented us and he gives us the opportunity then um, to... The lights just flicker? Wow, okay. <laughs> um, Jesus gives us the opportunity uh, to, to call upon him and ask him to save us. Um, all of us are born sinners. Um, for most, this is not new. Uh, the Bible says that all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Um, our sin has separated us from God, and we, the Bible tells us that we deserve punishment for our sins. It says the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. Uh, we deserve death. And Revelation 20.14 talks specifically about a second death. It says in death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You know, death is a separation um, we're separated. Uh, when, when a person dies, um, if they have an open casket, um, you come and you can see that person there. They have passed away. Their body is still there, but who they are or were as a person is no longer there. They've been separated, and their soul, who they are, has moved on to either be forever with the Lord um, or their in a place of suffering. But that first death is when the soul, who we are, is separated from the body. Eventually, the second death is when um, whosoever, anybody that's not found written in the book of life, is cast into the lake of fire. And that is the second death when we are separated from God forever um, for our sin. Now, the story of the gospel, which the gospel just means good news, right? The story of the good news is, sometimes we forget, the good news is that Jesus came and he took our place for us. He came and died in our place. He became, Jesus is the creator of everything. He's part of the triune God. He created all of us and then we rebelled against him. And instead of just wiping us off the map, <laughs> Uh, Jesus decided that he was going to become one of his own creation. And he walked on this very earth in Israel for 33 years before he accomplished his maiden task when he was here. And that was to die for our sins. And he took the punishment for our sin in himself on the cross. 
And now Jesus offers a way for us to put our faith in him. We simply have to trust in him and he will give us everlasting life. Um, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him, believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I hope that no one here is in, I, I shouldn't say that, if, if you are in this category of a person who would be condemned already, you can call on Jesus today and he wants to save you. <laughs> um, th- that's the compassion that Jesus has on the world. He gave his entire life so that we who don't deserve anything from God, we can believe in him and he will give us everlasting life, something that we totally don't deserve. Um, The Bible says that it's by grace that we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, there's not going to be anyone in heaven that is going to... um, This is very hypothetical, but if we were in heaven and you were to come up to ask someone, so... How did you get up here? Um, It's a question we wouldn't really ask because we would all know the answer at that point. But you know, no one is going to give the answer if someone asked, how did you make it up here? No one's going to say, well, I made sure that I attended church every week. I made sure that I gave money to the church. I made sure I did plenty of good things. Um, I was a good person, never did anything too bad, and God let me in. No one is going to have that explanation in heaven. Um, There's no one that's going to be able to boast or brag about how they made it there or why they're there. The only reason, if someone were to ask the question, the only answer anybody would ever have is why did you, why, how did you make it up here? The answer would only be that I recognize that I was a sinner and had nothing to offer before God. And I trusted in what Jesus did for me on the cross. And because I simply trusted Jesus and what he did for me, that's why I'm here. (laughs) Not because of anything I did. It's because of what Jesus did for me. Um, Jesus Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. And he was constantly pointing to people and telling them, be reconciled to God, my Father. And then he gives us the commission later in the Bible where it says that that we're given the ministry of reconciliation. So in Jesus' place, we're supposed to beg other people to be reconciled to God. But that's the compassion that Jesus has on the lost world is that he became one of his own creation to reach them. And If you may be here this evening and you don't know for certain that you have eternal life, um, it's nothing to be ashamed of, but it is something that you can know for sure. Jesus offers you a way to have eternal life. It is a free gift, and you can call out on Jesus to save you, and he will do that. 
Um, so Jesus talks, it says that Jesus had a heart of compassion in this passage. And then uh, he goes on to declare a problem in this passage. And the, the sermon, the, the rest of the sermon here is extremely simple. Um, I just want us to look at the problem that Jesus declares and then a few ways that we can be a part of solving this problem. So I'll ask you for a little feedback. Um, I don't know if that normally happens, but that's all right. Um, you're allowed to talk and answer. That's okay tonight. So um, what is the problem that Jesus declares here in this passage? I'll give you a hint. It's in, it's in red at the end of the chapter. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible. What is the problem that Jesus addresses here? Yeah. Yeah, the problem is that there's a plentiful harvest, but there are few laborers. That's, that's the critical problem. There's a few problems Jesus is talking about. People being without, you know, sheep, people being a sheep without a shepherd. But the, the main declaration of the problem I want us to, to consider is that he says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's not enough workers in Jesus' harvest. Um, so that's, that's the problem. And um, I, I realize that you all are a very missions-minded church. Um, I can tell that just there's flags everywhere and there's lots of missionaries all over the walls. So maybe you feel like the laborers aren't really that few. There's plenty of them out there. <laughs> um, your church just happens to be in contact with a lot of laborers and that's a great thing. Um, overall, in our, in our world today, there really is a shortage of laborers still and it's a big problem. Um, so this is a problem that was true in Jesus' day. It's still true in our day. The plentiful harvest. Do you know there's over uh, 7.8 billion people alive in our world today? Um, that's numbers that most of us really can't wrap our minds around. Uh, those, those staggeringly high <laughs> number of people. Um, and out of those 7.8 billion is estimated that there are 3.3 billion people who would be considered to be living in an unreached place in the world. Um, I got that information from joshuaproject.net. If you've never been there, it's a good resource, resource for seeing some of the unreached people groups of the world. But think of that, 3.3 billion of the 7.8 billion may have never even heard the name of Jesus one time. Um, some of them don't even have one verse of the Bible translated into their language. There still is a tremendous need for the gospel to go forth in our world today. Uh, if we think about the illustration Jesus is giving here, when he says, he talks about the harvest, um, has anyone worked in agriculture here before? Or does work? Okay. At least one. Um, so, for myself, I don't have much experience with agriculture. Um, I, uh, we had a small um, backyard in our house in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I tried planting a garden there one year. It didn't go that well for us, though. Um, I had about six tomato plants. I think we got three tomatoes off of them. 
Uh, and then uh, I had the cucumbers and the zucchini grew up really well, but every other plant failed miserably. And it was back to the grocery store for us. So gardening didn't go well for me. Um, but let's just imagine that there is a, a farmer who owns thousands of acres of property and he has worked hard um, tilling the ground or using this something called no-till planting now, but he's getting the seeds planted, he's watering them, fertilizing them, getting them ready to harvest. Um, and let's just imagine that right before the time they're supposed to gather all the crops, all of the farmer's workers resign. <laughs> um, so the farmer is left with no help. So he's desperate. He has to harvest these crops that they worked for, so he posts some uh, ads online. He puts some signs out in his field and neighboring communities saying, help wanted. And so the farmer is desperate. But let's just imagine that nobody reaches out to the farmer willing to help. So the farmer thinks, well, I can go do some of this work myself, use my equipment. But let's just imagine for sake of illustration that the farmer injures himself to the point where he's unable to even work his own equipment. So thousands of acres of property with crops ready to be harvested. If there's no workers, what is going to happen to, the, to that harvest field? Well, in case you don't know, it's all going to die. <laughs> um, I'm sure everyone knows the answer in their head. You're just not saying it out loud. Um, all the crops are going to die. They're going to be good for nothing. They're going to be wasted. And everything that that farmer worked for is going to be lost. And that would be a tragic thing. Um, but what's even more tragic is thinking about what Jesus is saying here with the harvest field of eternal souls. Men and women who need Jesus in their lives, they need to accept Jesus' work of salvation for themselves. But yet no one's there to tell them the message. What will happen to all of the people out there, let's say the 3.3 billion people in our world who may never have heard of Jesus, if they die before someone gets to share that message with them, what is going to, be, what is going to happen to them? As the Bible tells us, they're going to be separated forever from God in the lake of fire. Now, there's a quotation that I heard from, I heard this from someone, so I'll probably misquote it, but I believe it was Corey Temboom who said um, that God always calls enough laborers in every generation to reach the harvest for the gospel, with the gospel. Um, but it is up to the laborers that God calls as to whether or not they're going to answer the call. So, God, God, it's not God's fault, is what that is saying there. It's not God's fault that people aren't hearing the message of, of salvation. God is calling enough people to go, but he leaves the responsibility up to us as to whether we're going to answer that call. And if God is calling you to be a laborer in his harvest in some other place, then you better obey that call. You don't want to have the blood of people on your hands because you are not obedient to what God called you to do. Um, the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. There's not enough workers in Jesus' harvest willing to get their hands dirty in the harvest field of souls. 
So let's just talk here for a few minutes then um, about what are some ways that we can be a part of solving this crisis. We know the crisis. I'm sure that you've heard messages out of this passage before. Um, If not, I'd be extremely surprised. Um, But what are some ways that we can specifically be a part of solving this crisis? Yes. Surrender to go out and find your purpose. Very good. Yes. Anyone else? I have three specific things I'm looking for, but there's no wrong answers here. So what are some other some other ways we can be a part of solving the problem. What was that? I'm, so, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Yes, get planted in the church. Yes, very good. Excellent. Yes, pray. Yeah, praying is mentioned specifically here in the passage. Jesus says to pray the Lord of the harvest, he'll send laborers into his harvest. Yes. Get planted in the church, surrender, um, pray. Anything else? Yes. Go out there and do it. Share, share the message of Jesus with the people that you come in contact with. Yeah, definitely. Teach others how to do it. Very good. That can go along with training your children to love Jesus and want to serve him with their lives. Um, train others. Um, yeah, very good. Any other ways that we can be a part of solving the crisis? I wish I had a cricket app on my phone. Or chirping. <laughs> so, um, just a, a few, a, a couple more. Um, it was kind of said already, going in our community, but being willing to go yourself in the harvest field. Um, that's, that's one way that we can be a part of solving the crisis, is be willing to go yourself. Um, and another um, main way that you can be a part is you can give so that others can go. And I see that, that you all do give a lot towards missions, and that is a wonderful thing. Um, so the three that I want us to just think about for a couple minutes here before we close is um, ways that we can be a part of solving the problem. The problem is that there's a plentiful harvest, but there's not enough workers. And we can help to solve the crisis by praying, by giving, and by being willing to go ourselves. Um, so prayer... Um, in, the, in uh, 1 John chapter 5, there's a great verse. It says, 1 John 5, 14, the Bible says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now that's an incredible promise, by the way. That anything that you pray in God's will, he promises that he hears you. And if he hears you, you will have what you ask for every single time. That's incredible. 
Now, this isn't a full message here on prayer, but obviously one of the biggest problems that we run into with prayer and how to pray effectively is knowing what God's will is when we're praying. Because <laughs> um, if we have, ask anything according to his will, he gives it to us. Well, something that we can know for sure is part of God's will is something that God himself asked us to pray for. Um, in this passage here, Matthew 9, it says... To pray, therefore, in verse 38, pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Um, so God asks us specifically to pray. So what are some ways that we can pray for missions? Um, the first way would be exactly what the text here says. Pray that God would send more laborers into his harvest field. Um, something that God asked us to pray for. Pray that more laborers would be sent to Hungary, to those 3.3 billion souls in unreached places of the world. Pray that God would send more laborers into Canada. Um, by the way, Canada is, in, is it's not quite one of the unreached places of the world, um, but if you look at that website, joshuaproject.net, um, they consider a country that has at least 10% evangelical population to be a completely reached country. Canada is only at a 7% um, evangelical population. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done for the gospel in your own country. Um, in fact, I wasn't sure if I would share these statistics or not, but I think I will. Um, I, was just, I was just privileged to be a part of a pastor's fellowship day in Calgary, and Pastor Al Stone was preaching there. Um, and he was talking about some of the needs that there are in Canada. This goes along with labor shortage. So he said that um, in Canada right now, best he could gather, there's 304 independent Baptist churches in Canada. Um, and out of those 304 churches, he said that there is 50 of them currently without a pastor. Um, not just a pastor on vacation, but without a pastor at all. Um, and I, he said also out of those 304 um, churches, he said 118 of those churches have pastors that are, um, that are either that are 55 and older. So that's not necessarily a big problem as long as you have young men who are following in their footsteps to take, uh, take the reins when they decide that they have to move on. Um, but it is a, a bothersome thing that there really are not that many young people who are going into pastoral studies. In fact, Dr. Stone um, said that he contacted all of the colleges in all the Baptist colleges in Canada he contacted a lot of the major colleges in the United States, and he asked them, how many of your young men right now are enrolled in pastoral studies um, in your Bible college? And out of all the churches that he contacted, sorry, all the Bible colleges he contacted in Canada and in the States, he said the answer they got of current pastoral study students was only 40. So, I mean, we already, found, we already heard that there's, you know, um, 50 churches in Canada without pastors. It's a similar problem in the States as well. Um, so he was saying that apart from a great move of God, 
uh, the independent Baptist movement as we know it is not going to be the same. Um, we really need more people to, to volunteer to be laborers right here in North America. Um, Canada needs laborers. Um, there's, there's a great need right here. And you should pray specifically that God will lead, lead uh, Canadians to decide to reach their own people for Jesus. Um, there's a quote by S.D. Gordon concerning prayer. It says that the greatest thing that anyone can do for God and man is pray. It is not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. The great people of earth are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer. But I mean those people who take time to pray. Are you one of those people who takes time to pray? I trust that you are. And if not, you can start any time. It's such a privilege that we have to be able to go before the throne of God and pray. But pray that God would send more laborers into his harvest. Pray for missionaries like myself and many others who are on their way to their mission fields, that God would speed us on our way so that we could get to the fields he's called us to as quickly as possible. And then pray for your missionaries who are on the field already that they would be effective in what God has called them to do. Uh, the Apostle Paul was probably the best missionary ever, and he asked people to pray for him, that he would preach the word of God boldly as he ought. So pray that your missionaries would be effective in the ministry that God has called them to. And uh, I, I realize that with having so many missionaries over there on the wall, um, maybe some, I, I hope, that, that some of you actually do pray for them, for all of them at some point. Um, but that may seem overwhelming at some times. Um, but maybe just ask God for a few missionaries that you can really connect with and pray specifically for and ask that they would be effective in the fields that God has called them to. Um, so a way you can be a part in solving the labor crisis is by prayer. The next way you can be a part of solving the crisis is by giving. Um, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is an awesome truth for salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, anyone who recognizes that they are a sinner in need of a Savior and they simply call on Jesus, he will save them. That's awesome. But the passage goes on to say, though, how shall they call on, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear? without a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So people cannot call on the name of the Lord if a preacher doesn't go and share Jesus with them. And the preachers are unable to go unless they're sent to go. So you can give so that others can go. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says that it is not that I desire a gift, but I desire that fruit may abound to your account. 
Um, you know, he's saying that this is an investment opportunity. Um, you can invest of your temporary um, resources of money in um, missionaries who are going so that people can hear about Jesus for the first time. And uh, God says that you giving gifts, it will, count toward, it will be um, counted to your account. Um, you will earn rewards for being a part in that way. Um, if you think about it, there is no better investment really than if you knew that the monies that you were giving towards missions went to someone hearing about Jesus for the first time and they heard the gospel message, they believed it, they accept Jesus as their Savior, now their eternal destiny is changed. So they're no longer um, condemned already, but they have everlasting life. They moved from death to life, from the power of Satan unto God. And you giving money so that missionaries can preach that message, your gift was a part of that person being able to hear the gospel, getting saved, and you'll be able to fellowship with them someday in heaven. That's pretty awesome. Um, and God promises this is an investment that you can't lose out on. He says in context in Philippians 4, he says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will take care of you. But just another thing to consider about this missions giving is it is absolutely not required. So the Bible says he wants us to be cheerful givers with what we give. It's something that's a privilege to give towards and that God will reward us for it, but it's not something we have to feel constrained to do. Um, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, it says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. There's a story that says that a mother wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson. So she gave her little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. Put whichever one you want in the offering plates and keep the other for yourself, she told the girl. When they were coming out of the church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew that I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, so I did. Well, hopefully that's not us, right? <laughs> um, but it really is a, it's a privilege to be able to give towards God's work. And uh, not something that you have to do, but... If you do, the Bible says that if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Um, so a way that you can be a part of helping to solve the laborer crisis is you can give so that others can go. But finally, um, maybe the most important way that we can be a part in solving the laborer crisis is be willing to go yourself. Are you willing to go anywhere that God would call you to go? Are you willing to do anything that God wants you to do? 
will you go yourself? Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you there, this is a very familiar verse, all right? Um, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is what? Yeah, your reasonable service. It's only reasonable that you present yourself to God. Have you ever come to God and presented yourself to Him and said, God, I am presenting my body to you. My life is yours. What would you have me to do with my life? If you have never done that, you need to present yourself to God. It's the reasonable thing to do. God has saved us. He's given us eternal life. We need to give everything back to Him and say, God, I'm willing to do anything you want me to do with my life. And maybe it's been, maybe you've done that before, but it's been some time since you have done that. Present yourself to God and say, God, what would you have me to do? As Isaiah chapter 6 says, um, God says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah answers, Then said I, Here am I, Lord, send me. Are you willing to go yourself? Are you willing to go to one of those unreached peoples of the earth that needs Jesus? Are you willing to plant more churches in Canada if God is directing you that way? Another question to ask, are you willing and are you going right where you are? You can't just be, say that I'm willing to go somewhere else in the world if God wants me to go there, um, but not be willing to go right where you are. Are you willing also to go across the street? Are you willing to go to a coworker, to a friend, to a family member, and lovingly share the truth of Jesus with them? Are you willing to go yourself? So the crisis that Jesus talks about here, the problem, he says there's a laborer crisis. The harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. Um, some ways that we can specifically be a part of solving this crisis is that we can pray, we can give, and we can be willing to go ourselves. Um, if you'd stand with me for a closing word of prayer, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.